0: Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. So glad you could join us. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. It's deja vu all over again here on Giants.com. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Two ways you'd interact with us here on the program, 201 939 4513. You could also use hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. We're going to recap Conference Championship Sunday, two exhilarating games that both went to overtime, the first time in NFL history, or the first time, I should say, since the merger in 1970 that that occurred. Mm -hmm. And we'll also look ahead to the Senior Bowl. We'll hear from John Schmelk. He is in Mobile, Alabama, to get the layout of the land, as today is going to be the first practice. The next three days they'll practice leading up to the game over the course of this weekend. So a lot to tackle over the next 60 minutes. We'll get to your phone calls. We'll get to your tweets. But let's start with what was a wild conference championship Sunday, Paul. And we now have the table set for the Super Bowl. Patriots-Rams. Coincidentally, a rematch of really what started the dynasty for the Patriots. They wound (laughs) up beating the Rams for their first Super Bowl of five, and now they have an opportunity to sort of come full circle to continue their dynasty. And we'll start with the Patriots and the Chiefs, and New England getting it done again in crunch time. I don't think that necessarily surprised many, the ability for Tom Brady and the offense to make one big play after another, despite what Brady did, I think guys like Julian Edelman, Chris Hogan, and Rob Gronkowski also, Paul, deserve a lot of credit on multiple drives. Those guys made some highly contested catches, helped move the chains. As great as Brady is, I don't think some of the weapons around him gets enough credit, as well as the offensive line. Here, we know this from covering the Giants. The key to getting to Brady and flustering him is to put pressure on him, get some hits on him. Well, you look at the box score, Kansas City Chiefs, Zero sacks, Paul. And I'll take it a step further. One quarterback hit. Zero sacks, one quarterback hit, and the Patriots ran for over 170 yards. They won in the trenches. They won on the offensive line. And what has that been? That's been the theme we talked about, right, all postseason long. Ten
1: for ten. So there you go. Okay. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Ten for ten. All ten postseason games to this point were decided by the team that won the trenches. It happened in the Rams-Saints game also, because if you recall, it was the pressure by the Saints defensive line that got through in overtime against Breeze, forcing that ball when he got hit to flutter up and get intercepted, which eventually led to the winning field goal by Los Angeles. Folks, I'm going to keep saying it until, I don't know, I retire. And that's probably another 50 years from now, so you're stuck with me, I'm sorry. (laughs) The trenches. It always starts in the trenches. Your percentage chance of winning a game is so much greater when you win the trenches more than any other factor on NFL Sunday. That's just the way it is. And it happened with the Patriots as well. You cited the stats, and you know we tried to tell you. I, I don't know. I don't know how much I got into the game last week, but I had picked the Patriots over Kansas City too because I thought the Chiefs had caught lightning in a bottle. Yeah their defense was never going to perform as well as they did against the Colts last week, in part because I thought the Colts absolutely wet the bed, if you will. I think the cold bothered them. I don't know why in the world that that offensive line decided not to show up after being one of the best three during the regular season, but they failed to show in Kansas City. And I said to myself, there's no way that's going to happen a second week in a row. The Chiefs are not going to be that lucky to have an offense that does not show up. Tom Brady will show up. His offensive linemen will scrap and claw. They may not be the best guys in the league, but they'll scrap and claw, and they'll make sure they give him an opportunity to win the game. And wouldn't you know what they did?
0: 100%. I'm with you. I've said this all season long. To me, the Achilles heel of the Chiefs, as great as a season they had and as great as Patrick Mahomes has been, is their defense. And in the end, it came back to bite them, Paul, as you just noted. I was with you. I thought they played their best defensive performance of the season. That includes the regular season in that victory over the Colts in the playoffs. And to expect them to come out and duplicate that against a much more experienced quarterback, a much more experienced overall team, because Indianapolis is relatively young Mm-hmm. Not as battle-tested and as the dome team. players on New England. Correct. So the cold weather, which you knew wasn't going to impact the Patriots. Not They're at a cold-weather team, and clearly it did not. And the weather turned out to be not as bad as everybody anticipated. They thought there was going to be an Arctic storm and so forth. But I never thought that the Chiefs' defense was going to be able to duplicate that. And you look at the fourth quarter. Both teams combined for 38 points, Paul, in the fourth quarter alone. Mm-hmm. So it was an offensive clinic. And if it was going to play out to be an offensive clinic – I don't think anybody doubted that Tom Brady and the Patriots were going to have trouble moving the football. So that was not a surprising finish at all. I think, though, no matter where you stand on the Patriots, they deserve a tremendous amount of credit, Paul. We're talking about Mm -hmm. nine Super Bowl appearances for the Patriots, okay? You know, I do not like to single out the quarterback. For the New England franchise, since Tom Brady took over as the starter, Nine Super Bowl appearances in 17 seasons in which he was the full-time starter. That's more than half the amount of years that he's been under center that the Patriots have managed to get to the Super Bowl. You know, what's
1: amazing to me, I remember when the 49ers, beginning in 1981, went to the playoffs in 18 out of 22 seasons. Think about that for a second. Yeah. 18 playoff appearances in 22 seasons for that 49er franchise. Walsh and Seifert, uh, you know, the whole Montana era, the, the Steve Young, et cetera, et cetera. 18 out of 22. They won five Super Bowls during that time. And quite frankly, that made me nauseous. And I said to myself, okay, fine. Maybe that'll be the last time we see something like that. And then the Patriots came along.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, but listen, you can attest to And, of this. course,
1: they play in a pansy division, which, of course, helps because none of the teams in that division can get out of their own way. And, quite honestly, that was also part of the reason the 49ers kept going every year because their division was a joke for a long, long time. And it was almost like they just had to show up and they knew they were going to be the division champs.
0: Well, what I would argue, though, with the Niners, and I think their run is impressive too, but the entire landscape of the NFL was completely different. You could argue, Paul, in the 80s— Well, it changed in 93 after 93. The, after well, 93, the, salary, the cap. salary cap and free agency destroyed the league. Well, you and I disagree on that front, but that's another thing. What, what I, the point that I'm making is when the Niners were running their dynasty, each year you could really only make an argument that there were about five or six true Super Bowl contenders. Let's be honest, Paul. Whereas today in today's NFL, before the playoffs started, you and I could have made a case for all twelve teams to win the Super Bowl. I don't think that was a stretch.
1: Well, I had the Patriots and the Saints, but I had New Orleans winning. So I'm already out. Well,
0: but <laughs> but the point is and you're not wrong for picking those teams, but what I'm saying is is that I could have made a case for Kansas City. Oh, you, win you the absolutely Super Bowl, could regardless have. of their short The coming. quick of parody. Yeah, exactly. It also rules in the postseason as well. One hundred percent. So what I'm saying is is that to me the New England dynasty is more impressive because when San Francisco played, there were really only about five or six true contenders. And if you break that down within the conferences, you're talking about maybe two contenders in each conference. Whereas today, tremendous amount of depth. So I would give New England a lot more credit, and when you add on the salary cap restrictions. No question. So I think it's a little bit of night and day. Once again, I'm not trying to take anything away from the Niners. I think New England is far more impressive for what they've accomplished. I
1: wasn't arguing that it was any less impressive. I was simply saying that the Niners made me nauseous back in the day. Oh, I get where and you're coming from I understand from like why some people are nauseous about the Patriots, because... They say they just can't stand their success. I felt that way about the 49ers back in the day. It was like, I'm just tired of seeing this team in the playoffs every single January. And, and so I get it. Now, I personally, I will tell you this, I personally don't hate the Patriots. Neither do I. I have tremendous respect for Bill Belichick. I knew him when he was a Giants assistant. And I happen to know he has tremendous affection for this franchise still to this day. And probably will take it with him till the day he dies. I don't hate Bill Belichick. I may not particularly like Tom Brady in terms of off the field, the kind of guy that he is, and the kind of persona he emits. He He's easy to hate winners. Yeah. Okay, but I also recognize that, you know what? He has passed Johnny Unitas as the greatest quarterback who's ever played. I get that. Greatest player who's ever played, like Bob Kraft says? No, 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 no. That's Lawrence Taylor, Mister Kraft. I'm sorry to uh, to have to correct you, but Lawrence Taylor is the greatest pro football player who's ever walked the face of the earth. Case closed. Don't even have that conversation with me because you lose. But Montana,
0: I think, belongs in the conversation too. I mean, you didn't even bring him up. I was surprised you just went to Johnny Unitas. You could continue to stare at me, Joe Montana. Johnny Johnny Unitas
1: was so many decades ahead of where everybody else was. He called his own plays. He ran two-minute drills. Johnny Unitas was the greatest quarterback until Brady knocked him off.
0: Well, I think there's a lot of people that I would beg to argue there, including myself. Only only young folks who well, are from the no, ESPN generation. Joe Montana played a few decades. You know, you ago, the you 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 bow hey, on your knees to Bristol because ago. everything that's Not on Sports Center you no. think is like the the end all be all. No, uh, you, Paul, you. If you're making that statement, you don't know me very well. Well, then go, okay? go back I'm, to the films. hold on a minute. I'm holding off the LeBron aholics, okay? When it comes to the Jordan debate, so don't even go there. That I'm a subscriber <laughs> to Sports Center and these conversations today. I, that is. Insulting that you'd even do, throw me. Do into you that understand? That we'll, I am insulted do, by that. All right, do you understand? I want a public apology. On all right, TV I'm sorry, right. right. but Jeez, do you please.
1: understand that Y.A. Tittle was the Dan Marino and Dan Fouts of his day? Well, decades before anything.
0: those guys ever played the game. Listen, understand, sports I, existed before Bristol. That's all I'm saying. Which is the exact argument that I'm trying to bring to the table in basketball, but this okay, is not very that subject. Nice. All I'm saying is, is that Joe Montana belongs to the conversation. I'm not discrediting Johnny Unitas or Y.A. Tittle or any of the guys that came before okay. him. I was just surprised that Montana wasn't brought up in your statement. That's all. We'll leave it at that. Let's return to the task at hand here. So that pretty much is, to me, the biggest takeaways for the Patriots Chiefs. Then, of course, there is what transpired in the NFC Championship game between the Saints and the Rams. And while a lot of people don't want to talk about what came after the miscall, which I think is important— The opportunity for Sean Payton to handle clock management a lot differently, Paul, cannot Mm -hmm. be dismissed. Mm -hmm. The ability for the Saints' defense to stop the Rams from getting into field goal range. And the fact that the Saints also got the ball first in overtime and did not take advantage of that. Those are three factors that have nothing to do with the missed call. But let's focus on the missed call here. There's nothing that anybody could say to give the Saints an opportunity to redo that. It was clearly a missed call. The league has admitted that. Sean Payton, when he spoke to the media, said that Al Riveron, the VP of officiating, called him up after the game and admitted that. And it's similar to what Giants fans can relate to when the Giants played the Niners in the playoffs. Remember the mispass interference call, Paul? Do I remember that? Well, I'm... Do I that. remember that? Good. I'm glad that I'm not uh, ruffling your feathers. 2003! you ruffled my feathers earlier in this In program. Candle Dump Park. Wow. Yes, I Don't do remember that. Don't hold back on your
2: true
1: emotions here. Okay. Which, oh, by the way... The league admitted to immediately. Well, that's why I brought that up. And yeah. then further admitted the following day, and nothing was done. By the way, that was also the final play of the game. Correct. Okay, when Okafor tackles Richie Seibert downfield for a non-called pass interference. I get that Tam Hopkins was downfield illegally. Offsetting penalties should have been called, and they should have had another chance at the winning field goal. Absolutely. And guess what? The league said, sorry, Giants. We made a mistake. Let's just move on. I don't want to hear any tears out of the people in New Orleans because they had chances there too. The Giants, it was the final play of the game. And you could say all you want about how they blew the lead. That's fine. But it was the final play of the game. They should have had that opportunity to re-kick that field goal. No, no, I'm sensitive to well, that one. And in 16, or the clock more. Well, the, the the Saints could have milked the well, clock. Th- that's what I was. The Giants to. were in yeah. a position where it was the final play of the game. Well, that's why I brought it up.
0: I brought it up because I think there are some common traits between both. There's there are some com-
1: to- there are differences and some common traits. Here's what's common about it: the league did nothing after 2003 to change correct to have their methodology, or whatever it may be. Yeah. And so 16 years later, when something similar happened. They're still caught with their hands on their hips.
0: We're sorry. Well, but here's the not thing. good. But, but here's the important part of the conversation. I'm, I'm glad. Do you I alluded remember 2003? Well, good. I'm, I'm glad. Holy that, uh, smokes! I got things. A, a Were little... you even born? Yes, I will. Okay. you're really trying to don't go there. You already had one strike. That's two now, Paul. One more strike. I'm doing the remainder of the show solo. Okay. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. I am though, glad that you brought up whether or not this is going to change the conversation when it comes to reviewing of penalties. And the Canadian Football League, the CFL, does have rules in place where they have an opportunity to review penalties. Since
1: 2014.
0: Yes. So it's recent, but it's been effective. It actually, from what I read, it influenced one of their most recent championship games where there was a pass interference call and they wanted to take another look at it. So you could argue that that does help promote fair play. But here's the thing to look at with respect to this play. It was a non-call, Paul. Nothing was called. It's one thing to call pass interference and then go back to the film and review it to see whether or not it's true. If there was no pass interference call, and this is the conversation that the competition committee is gonna have to have, how are you gonna then put rules in play that you'll have an opportunity to look back at that? That's to me gonna open up Pandora's box Judgment call left and right. It's one thing if pass interference is called to go back and look at it. If it's not called, I don't see how you're going to have rules in place to address that.
1: In this particular instance, and I agree with you, with a broad brush type of scope, it's going to be very hard to somehow legislate it. But here's what I will say in this particular instance. There was a helmet-to-helmet hit on defenseless receiver.
0: There were a number of things that could okay. called.
1: Now, yeah. now. If you put that under the scope of replay, if you say any helmet-to-helmet hits are now reviewable, that, that would have covered that play. And we would have not even dealt with the pass interference. We simply would have said there was a helmet-to-helmet on a defenseless receiver, on a guy who just came charging in and cracked the guy helmet-to-helmet. That in itself, okay, If you were just gone with that, which, by the way, does comply with the emphasis on player safety. Safety, 100%. I'm with you. Right? So you you can't argue that that is um, not uh, in—what am I looking for? It's not coherent or not in conjunction with what the league is trying to do. The league is saying they promote safety. Why can't I say all helmet-to-helmet situations— can be reviewed, whether they're called or not called. If there is a helmet-to-helmet that is seen or not seen, we want the opportunity to hold up, let's buzz, we're going to take a look at that again, helmet-to-helmet.
0: Well, the problem I have with that is then a team could then, let's say, challenge. And let's say you put this within the current structure of challenges so that you're not reviewing every single play, and you could make the argument as a coach, you know what, I think my guy was hit helmet-to-helmet, go take a look.
1: No, 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 no. So, I'm not giving the coaches the right to challenge it. What I'm saying is the guy upstairs in the booth should have the opportunity to say, "Hey, that's a helmet to helmet. Buzz down and say, we got a
0: we got a flagrant helmet to helmet here. You guys missed it. We're, we're throwing a moment a flag there. And you're telling me that you want this to be the entire game, not within two minutes. Correct. Not within, so what I'm saying Correct. is it's gonna open up Pandora's box because then you're gonna have plays that are being reviewed. Where it maybe brings something else up to the forefront, and then you're gonna have to language saying, Well, even if you discovered that on a helmet to helmet review, you can't change the play. Do you understand I'm what I'm saying? S- I'm
1: simply I'm I'm narrowing the focus. I hear what you're saying. Saying yeah. in yeah. the interest of safety, okay, in the interest of safety, I'm coming at this from a totally different angle. And it just comes to to, to the forefront for me because of this particular play. My my suggestion does nothing to alleviate the pass interference call. But what it does do, it enhances player safety. So if they're so gung-ho about player safety, why are we not going all out and saying, hey, you know what? There are helmet-to-helmet hits that are called, or for example, the roughing the passer on Tom Brady, when the guy did not hit him in the head. And it was very clear on the first replay right away. He didn't get hit in the head. I'm saying, let the guy upstairs in the replay booth If he has an opportunity within the first 30 seconds, okay, to review a helmet to helmet or non hit to the head, whether it's called or not called, he has a chance to get that right. To me, that's in the interest of safety. That should not be debatable. That goes with what the league is trying to promote.
0: I just think that there's got to be some restrictions on that or else you could be reviewing every single play and that's what I don't want to see because I think that would kill momentum and you'd have a stop-and-go type of a pace of a game, and I don't want to see football become that. I would like to see them have conversations about challenging penalties that are called and using that within the structure of the challenge flag so that maybe you give teams an opportunity if, to your point, roughing the quarterback is called, they looked at replay up top, your coaching staff tells your head coach, hey, it wasn't, you throw the flag, that gives you an opportunity to review that. That I would like to see as part of the conversation. Okay, part and of what you
1: question me on, though, is what happens when you see something else within the scope of that replay. Well, same situation for you. If I'm challenging a holding call or no, a pass interference that's the, that's the call, only thing
0: they can look at. That's what I'm saying. You have to narrow no, no, the scope. I'm I agreement. Meaning if you, you go to the ref and you say, we're challenging roughing the passer, then if they discover on the back end of the play somebody was hit or whatever it may be, illegal contact, no— you have to specifically look at what the coach is challenging, period. Yeah, because mm-hmm. then you're going to open up Pandora's box. and That's going to be a mess. Think, of course, an absolute mess. So I don't want to see them go there. But the big picture of things is as disappointing and frustrating as I'm sure for the New Orleans Saints and Sean Payton and that entire organization, at the end of the day, there were still opportunities to make up for that after. And there were opportunities also earlier in the game. And I say this about any football game in NFL history. One play does not determine the outcome of the game. As much as people want to make it out to be, and I know it's easy, and it's easy for sports talk shows to go on tangents about it. Paul, the Saints had back-to-back possessions in the red zone to start the game. They walked away with field goals on both. If you remember Dan Arnold, their tight end on the first possession, he dropped a touchdown. Mm -hmm. The ball wasn't knocked out of his hands. He dropped it. They got a touchdown there and then we could play the coulda, woulda, shoulda game. Maybe the Saints have a more comfortable lead on that final drive, and maybe the Rams have to go down and score a touchdown, not settle for a field goal. I could sit here and give you so many other examples where the Saints fell short, and to the opposite side, the Rams fell short. That could have heavily influenced the game. Just didn't happen because of the lack of execution or whatever it may be. Well, it's too simple in football to put a game on one play.
1: I also made this comment to somebody else who said to me, well... If Jeffrey catches that ball for the Eagles, Eagles win the game. Well, how do you know? No, because
0: you don't know how things are going to play
1: out. You don't know what was going to happen on the next play. Maybe Foles yeah. fumbles the snap on the next play. In this case with the Saints, how do you know? Breeze doesn't fumble the snap on the next play. You don't know for sure. I mean, there was still snaps to be had. And any time a snap is still to occur, you can't say with 100% certainty what that next play is going to do. You just don't know. Anything could happen. I mean, you think Roger Craig expected the fumble and have Lawrence Taylor pick it up at, on that candlestick turf, well, which, by the way, helped ruin the three-peat? I'm sure it? he didn't expect the fumble.
0: Well, this one's going to hit I'm home. sure
1: Pizarre Chicken and didn't expect the fumble either.
0: I don't think Herm Edwards thought he was going to get no. a nice play like that. So, so, yeah. so
1: you know, 100%. you're absolutely correct, all right? Unless it's the final play of the game, you, you, you know, and even then— even if the Giants in 2003 had an opportunity to reattempt that field goal, how do I know no, that Trey Junkin don't. would not have screwed up the snap a second time? How do I know the kick wouldn't have been blocked or that Matt Bryant wouldn't have missed it? I don't know the answer to that. I certainly believe the Giants, as the league does, should have had an opportunity to snap it again. So, yes, they absolutely got cheated of that opportunity, but that's the key. They got cheated out of an opportunity. They did not get cheated by the result.
0: Because you just don't know you just don't how know. the remainder of you those you just plays don't know would play out. One hundred percent. 9394513. I have no issue with that. I'm actually fighting off people who are saying, you know, we know for a fact that the Saints would have won the game. No, we don't. We don't know anything. You go back to a variety of games. We don't see know. you are older so than coulda, you woulda, look. Game. I like. Oh, now the, I, like the, I no, like the old school mentality. Don't try, to, don't try to butter me up. You, you already <laughs> dug yourself in a deep hole, Paul. You, you got to have a few shows to. make Oh, by up the
1: way, we yeah. need to tell people something Giants wise. Yes, Michael Thomas is going to the Pro Bowl. He is indeed. He's on the NFC roster for the Pro Bowl because Littleton of the Rams is in the Super Bowl. And he was the selection for the NFC. Thomas was the first alternate and now he gets elevated and goes to Orlando as another Giants Pro Bowl representative. Congratulations to Michael
0: Thomas. 100%. I echo your sentiments. Well deserved. Uh, Michael Thomas, one of the most underrated football players over the last few years because of what he does on special teams and he proved to be a valuable asset this season, Paul, because of his versatility and the injury to Landon Collins and playing a lot more safety than maybe the Giants had anticipated and his contributions on special teams. Well earned. You could have made argument he could have went to the Pro Bowl in years past, for what he did with the Miami Dolphins, just strictly as a special teamer, and that's five Giants now receiving invites. Only four are going to play because Landon Collins is injured, but Olivier Vernon, Michael Thomas, Aldrich Rosas, and Saquon Barkley, all first-time Pro Bowlers Mm -hmm. out of the five. Landon Collins is the only repeat, so congratulations, obviously, to Michael Thomas. Glad you reminded us of that. And another reminder, you should follow Giants.com and the Giants on social media all week for live coverage from the Senior Bowl as well as the Pro Bowl. Since that is a related note, we are going to be talking Senior ball a little bit later on on the program, but right now we want to open up the phone lines, postseason, Giants offseason plans, everything up for di- dialogue, 201-939-4513. Joe is in Pennsylvania. He gets us going on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. How we doing, Joe?
3: Hey, wonderful. Missed you guys yesterday. Um, well,
0: thank you. you. Me you too. I
3: wanted to work. <laughs> first, by like comparing quarterbacks, Paul, like you said, United, Tittle, uh, you know, having Brady number one of all time. Okay, the only thing I have against that, Paul, you know, it was a different game. That it them, was them quarterbacks really got hit. You know, and they they had to stay in there. Where you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you've seen in this play uh, playoff game there, as we're talking about the ref, the, the guy reaches around the, the 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 tackle or the guard and touches Brady on the shoulder, and there's a flag. You know, that's well, sort Joe, of ridiculous. Well, Joe, there are you know. so
1: many things besides the rules changes that have helped today's quarterbacks. Think about this, okay? How many of yesteryear's quarterbacks had to play in domes? Not too many of them got to play yeah. in domes. United's never had a chance to play in a dome, okay? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, neither did Tittle. I mean, in fact, it was the weather conditions that screwed Tittle in championship games. If you remember back in the early 60s, he played in horrible, windy, nasty, cold conditions, and his passing game wound up getting hindered by that. So you had weather conditions then. You also didn't have artificial turf fields. They were playing on baseball fields, dual-purpose stadiums. And those fields were a mess. In the mud, in the freezing cold, Those the hard infields that they had to play on. Heck, even the Oakland Raiders are still doing it. They're, playing, they're right. the only team still playing on a baseball field.
0: I mean, right. there are you
3: Receivers know? there, you know what I mean? You can't touch them, though. No no. Well, know but I mean? in fairness, so, Joe, Brady also started up playing. Up him, you know? But,
0: but Joe, Brady also started playing before some of these rule changes uh, I, were implemented. So I, to say I, that I his agree. entire career was a benefit of that is missing. Well, no,
1: but there, there are factors in general that certainly... Of enhanced right. the opportunities for today's quarterbacks to succeed. That's all we're saying. No, I, I don't think right. there's
3: anything I'm wrong just with that. We're saying the old quarterbacks, Lance. They, they were getting hit the whole game.
0: Well, of course. I mean, listen, there were guys playing with leather helmets at one point, too. Right. I mean, what are we going right. to do? We're going to crown them as well? I mean. saying, the game of You know, you know what I mean? And yeah.
3: now, where we can't touch the receivers, you really can't evaluate them right. Well, but you Brady know, but Brady still were in a mo-
0: boxing match. Joe, I, the whole I get game. that, but Brady still has to make the decisions at the line of scrimmage. He still right. has to make adjustments. Oh, I, hey, you know. Them,
3: them last drives correct. in that, you know, third and ten, third mm-hmm. and 9, he is right on the. On on the ball, they're throwing it to them receivers. He, 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 I yeah. give him credit. He's, he's, and, he's, and them he's guys. number one.
1: Yeah. He's number so, one. He's taking the throne. Yeah, Go yeah, ahead, Joe. Right,
3: right. Now, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? This, this stuff here again, I know you are arguing about the refs again. It is ridiculous. I did hear uh, they were saying that that referee was changing uh, his jersey with uh, Gurley from the no, right no, That, 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 that was a fake. That was a
0: Photoshop photo, Joe. That. Todd Gurley put up on his Instagram account as a joke to rub it in to people that were irritated. Well, there was no validity well, to that whatsoever. None.
3: Well, but but whatever. I mean, there was so no, much... It's not whatever. Nonsense it, no, no, this no, no, it's definitely not truthful. Be in out any them they have to them ridiculous calls. They have to. It just was so bad this year. Uh, what I was going to say, I'm just so happy for the Giants uh, that, you know, really, there's, there are more and more quarterbacks in that that we can really... Uh, get a quarterback if we want this year and we can draft defensive linemen pass rushers that's really what we need and uh that's what i'm very happy for and uh i i really like the looks of that murray but then i see see uh no, there's some big quarterbacks from Duke and Missouri with size in it, and I'd really love that you get one and uh, have one more year under uh, Eli Manning there to tutor him in that. Okay, thank you All right, for Joe. taking my call. You okay,
0: Joe, appreciate the phone call. Reminder: Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Let's head back to the line. Scott is in New Mexico. Scott, welcome aboard. What do you got for us?
2: Hi, guys. How you doing today? Doing right, nice, Scott. Hi. What's on your mind? Uh, About a month or so ago, I was on with both of you in regards to the officiating, and I had said that the officiating this year seemed to be a lot poorer than it was in previous years. And I know, Lance, you argued because you do college games, it's the same in college, et cetera, et cetera. So my point is this. uh, On a blatant call that was missed in the Los Angeles game, even though I had picked Los Angeles to win, Uh, I'm just worried, uh, is the officiating actually destroying the game? Because I'm almost on pins and needles when I watch a game that I'm waiting for the call. And because you're leaving it up to the discretion of the referees, even though I agree with you that reviewing every call is a Pandora's box and is not good for the game, when you leave it up to the discretion of the referees on almost any play, because on almost any play you can actually call a penalty, Is the game getting destroyed from within, and what countermeasures can you do to stop the officiating?
0: I mean that—that's the human element of the game. In, In an NBA game, can I argue the same thing? That every call is in the hands of the officials. Can't they call a foul? on every single play, if they wanted right, to but
2: what, what happens what, to the element of the game? Because there are rules in place. You're not supposed to hold anybody beyond five yards if you're a defender. Correct, but, but like that's anything out, else... That's out the window on almost every single game that you watch. Uh, I think, I think call, it depends on the officiating
0: ahead. crew. I mean, clearly, like I said, some officials are going to really hone in on that, and others are not. For example, the Seattle Seahawks... You know, when the Legion of Boom was together, they were known for their aggressive approach at the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. But they would always just go to look at how things were called in the first quarter to determine what they could get away with. So to me, it's like anything else. The officials do set the tone of a game. I don't disagree with you, but that's the human element. And the human element has been around ever since the game was brought to the forefront. So you're never going to have the perfectly officiated game. That, that's what I think people need to understand. You're never going to have everything go according to plan. There's going to be calls missed. There's going to be bad calls, calls. And it, good teams overcome the ins and outs of the human element of the game. That's the, how I've always the felt. The
1: shame of this, Scott, and and I'm you're probably going to be very surprised to hear me say this, but I'm of the opinion, uh, especially in these critical games, although I don't want to get into the argument about inconsistencies, I like officials who let the guys play, okay? Right. I'm not one who wants to see 35 penalty flags in the game. I really i am not. Having said that, these egregious mistakes that are changing the course of history and people's lives and the blood, sweat, and tears that every organization and every team puts into a season to have it potentially altered by a horrific call, that doesn't seem just to me. Yeah, and yet, and yet, again, I'm one who wants to see the players play. Uh, that You know, for lack of a better term, I can't stand when ticky-tack penalties are called. Now, technically, those are accurate penalties. And one could argue that if I'm going to be so upset when a penalty is missed or called incorrectly, well, then how could I say that ticky-tack fouls are also incorrect? It's a, It's like a contradiction. So I appreciate right. it if you want to get on my case, but that's kind of how I feel. I, I, I hate the egregious miscalls or non-calls, but I'm okay with letting the ticky-tack stuff go because I think that the athletes need to determine the outcome of the game on the field with their skill and their experience and their wiliness. And if there is certain gamesmanship... You know, and I remember, you know, Sam Madison and Everson Walls, two veteran defensive backs. When they got to the Giants, they were masters of how to pick at a guy's jersey on oh, the way down the field. See it wasn't really with. holding, but it was kind of like, you know, yeah. and and it was like that's how they learned their craft, and that's how they became experienced and good at their craft. I kind of want to let those guys be able to do that, but at the same time, the egregious stuff makes me sick.
2: Well, is there a way, and I think, Lance, you had talked about this, about creating some rules for the referees where you, you can do better things with them or train them better, et cetera. Because I think the game's sort of getting, as I mentioned earlier, sort of getting destroyed because you're waiting for the penalties. You, I understand the human element, but I also understand that you have to go call a game correctly. It's just like any other job. If you don't do it very well, then obviously well, you shouldn't be in that job. The officials,
0: so. to your point, are part-timers. They've got jobs during the week, and then they travel to the destinations and officiate games. So, I mean, if the NFL wanted to make them full-time employees and then they go through training each and every week, weekend, it's a full-time year-round job, you can maybe argue that that should certainly help improve the efficiency of their job performance, but the NFL's got to decide to go there. You know, the individual officials, if they want to stay sharp, the only way that they can do that is to find time in their daily lives to do that. So, you know, like anything else, the more you do it, to your point, Scott, yeah, I would say you're going to be better at your job, but I also think that when you go full speed and you're watching things... As opposed to us who are on our couches or in the press boxes, I don't think people understand how difficult it is to be an official. Now, I get it, it was an egregious miscall, and I'm not defending that. It's, right. It stinks for the Saints. It really does. Because they would have maybe had an opportunity to finish that game differently. I'm not excusing that. But what I will defend is I don't think people understand how difficult it is to be an official. And I think people take that job for granted that they can put on a zebra shirt. They can run up and down the field and make calls. And, and I think people would be up for a rude awakening. And I'd I, love to see it.
1: I've been talking about this since 1997. So I'm right. really, 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 into this this topic. I had suggested to George Young back in in 98, actually, I had said, George, they need to have a better recruitment and schooling policy for refs to come into the league. What I had suggested to him then when he was VP of Football Operations with the NFL, I said, George, there are a number of receivers and defensive backs, okay, who are coming out of the NCAA ranks and not making it to the NFL. And some of these guys are very intelligent people who really know the game, but they can't make it into the NFL in training camp. Why not recruit those guys? And let's say the safety from Oklahoma is really smart, really intelligent, and he's a heck of a player, but he can't make it into the NFL. He keeps getting cut after two years. Why not say, hey, you want to stay in the game? We're going to recruit you, and we're going to make you an NFL referee. How would you like to go to referee school? Because not only is he going to be fit, he's going to understand the game from the players' and the coach's perspective, and he is probably going to be really good in using his judgment on the field as to what a penalty is or isn't. Right. And of course I got dismissed out of hand and it's been that way for decades. Well, but that was my plan.
0: Well, you've got to put in the time to even make it to the level of being an NFL ref. They take them from the high school and the college level and they gotta put in X amount of the years before they even Can I ask them. you
1: a question? Yeah. How many NFL officials today, and I don't know the answer to this, how much of them ever played the game, even at a high school level? It's a good question. I would. Don't assume- you think if they had been players, certainly at the college level, they'd have a better idea of what it
0: is that they're watching? Listen, if you've been around the game, I mean, for example, some officials... I've
1: never played either,
0: but I know the game really well. well so, so I
1: can appreciate that, but
0: I don't know that I'd want to be
1: a referee.
0: Well... That's why i would rather be a, coach than a, referee. a challenging job that I don't think right. many people understand. That. And Scott, listen, we're going to let you go because we want to get through a number of other callers. But I okay. appreciate you weighing in. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Marco in Connecticut. Marco, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hello? Hello, Marco. Marco? Yeah. Okay. How about Coach Marvin in Delaware then? Uh, coach Marvin, what's happening?
4: Oh,
0: Yes. Lance. Hello, can hear me? Yes, oh, now, so now we apparently have Marco on the line. Marco, what's happening? Hey, Lance. Yes.
5: Hey, no, I'm doing well, guys. Um, good stuff on the, on, the, uh, on the rules stuff, and I wanted to jump in, but I, I'm going to stick to my point on why I called. Um, I think watching this the, the two games, though, leading up to it, I think we can all agree that the four teams playing were probably the four. They were statistically two, and, and, uh, and they're seeding. They were the four best teams in the league. My biggest takeaway, and I want to get your guys' input on this, is when you have four great teams like this, how big of a difference coaching makes in these games? And I think it's easy to look at the Patriots and see Brady, but man i I continue to get so to be so impressed by Belichick and the way he's able to dial up these game plans and these schemes, and I'll be honest, I don't know if if offensively. What they're doing—if it's entirely uh, Josh McDaniels' game plan, or if it's if they're if they're both coming to it with uh, Belichick and McDaniels—but I even looking at that Saints game, aside from what happened with the penalty, Sean Payton made some big mistakes late in the game. Uh, I, I, he threw on one play where it stopped the clock for yeah. the Rams, and they didn't have to use a timeout. Huge play. And and then just getting back to my topic, though, I, and I'm looking at the Patriots, and I was thinking about this. They Lose so many players every year because they have hard a hard line of where they're gonna where they're gonna pay guys, and we've always talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Solder ends up on the Giants. He was their starting left tackle. They also lost Cam Fleming, mm-hmm. who was who I think was starting with them last year, but ended up in Dallas. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure if they lost anybody else. And the way and and by the way, guys, they don't draft really well. I don't know if anyone has talked about that. They don't. They've
0: lost on a lot of draft picks.
1: They pick up guys off the scrap heap and they yeah. turn them into functional players is what
0: they do. Well, you know what? They have a what? lot of volume of picks. They have a big volume. Yeah. So they figure the more guys they pick, the increase of the chances of having them pan out. That's a big but, part but, of their but, but philosophy.
5: But here's, but here's where I'm impressed. though. So when you talk about their specifically, their offensive line and their coaching, I know Skarnecchia is a great coach.
0: The organization: that, for me for many
5: that, years. That, that that was the biggest takeaway for the weekend. It's like, these guys, these are all great players. And you can find great players in all capacities. Draft, free agent, undrafted, trade, Canadian League, whatever. If you don't apply the right coaching and guys that can actually fit into the system, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because what they're doing, Brady just gets older, less mobile. However, he doesn't get touched. He doesn't get touched, and now and I and there's there's uh, some time to go before the Super Bowl, but that's I'm already thinking I'm like I think that's they're going to scheme Aaron Donald and Sue right out of the game, and they're going to force those linebackers, which really aren't great for the Saints, uh, for the Rams, to beat them, and and Brady is going to have a field day throwing to his running backs in the flat, and I I don't think it's that easy, but they make it look so easy. So I I guess I wanted to get your opinion on. Just coaching altogether. I mean, I mean, these guys are top, top players. But w- what is your opinion on if on how the coaching is making a difference uh, with the teams around the league, especially with so much parity? Well, there are some Thanks, coaching
0: guys. staffs. You got it, Marco. Appreciate the phone call. There's many coaching staffs that believe this is what we do well, and this is what we're going to do against every opponent. And then there's the New England Patriots who say to themselves, "Yeah, we do certain things well, but..." We're going to focus more on the matchups and we're going to look to expose the matchups. For example, against Kansas City, who could tell me what Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey did in that conference championship game? And I think those are two extremely talented players who had mm-hmm. two really good seasons. Those guys were relatively quiet. I don't remember either one of them having a big game changing play other than Paul. I remember Tyreek Hill catching a deep pass down the right sideline that Patrick Mahomes threw to him off the run. Outside of that, I thought New England did a nice job saying, you know what? Mahomes, you want to beat us? You're going to have to utilize your running backs. You're going to have to utilize Sammy Watkins. You're going to have to utilize guys that haven't necessarily been doing a great deal of the heavy lifting all season. So he's a very matchup-oriented coach, and he doesn't mind varying his game plan week to week, whereas other coaches feel we've been doing this well all season. We've been using this personnel. We're going to stick to it. That, to me, is the biggest difference between New England and And the rest of the league. Belichick doesn't get concerned about only having three or four days of practice to implement some new looks. They trust the system and they trust their personnel. That's why they make constant changes.
1: Well, and they have an outstanding coaching staff, which leaves no stone unturned. They're relentless, just like Belichick is. And then they make sure that they get guys on the team who have the mentality to accept that type of, of, of approach. And they are willing. For example, David Andrews, okay? Andrews is their starting center. Undrafted rookie free agent in 2015. He's the starting center. He's the guy making the line calls. He's the guy who's handing the ball to Brady on the snap. That's a big position. Undrafted rookie free agent. Do you know who the highest draft pick is on their offensive line? Just take a guess.
0: Highest draft pick? I want to say, what, a fourth rounder?
1: Joe Thune was a third-round draft pick pick. out of North Carolina State. He is the highest draft pick
0: on... Yeah, because I know Trent Brown's a fifth-rounder who they acquired from San Francisco before this season. So that's why I thought a mid-round pick.
1: Mason's a fourth. Yep. And Cannon was a fifth. Third round is the highest draft pick they've got, and their starting center was an undrafted rookie free agent. Okay? But... What do all those guys have in common? The mentality to buy in to everything that is the Patriots' way, to get coached up, to understand that it takes a relentless amount of teamwork, effort, and study to excel. And let's not forget this, selflessness or unselfish play, if you will. Use whatever type of word you want to use. When you buy into all of that, That's why Dave Gettleman says culture is so important. And I don't like that word. You guys know that. But it's about the mentality, the philosophy, and the work habits of your locker room. And the Patriots get it right.
0: Well, and in addition to grooming players... I think they also deserve credit for grooming coaches. That's what Bill no Belichick question. does a really good job. And you could say all you want about guys leaving New England and not having a great deal of success, but a guy like Brian Flores, who's rumored to be the next Dolphins coach, he started at the bottom of the rankings. He was a coaching assistant, and every single year they'd give him different positions. He understood how to coach a variety of spots, and now all of a sudden he's in line to be a coach. Josh McDaniels was groomed. You know, he's had a variety of low-level assistants who have Moved up the ladder. I think that deserves a lot of credit. Take it
1: one step further. The Parcells coaching tree. Yep. And again, go back to the 80s. The Bill Walsh coaching tree. Is it any wonder that the coaching trees of those legends succeeded year after year after year as they sprouted their own
0: roots? No, because Belichick is basically an extension of that. So it's all what your mentor taught you you now then pass on to the people that serve under you. So I don't think it should surprise anybody that Bill Belichick and the Patriots are back in the thick of things and an opportunity for them to claim another trophy and add another piece of hardware on the mantle. Well, we've been focusing a lot on the Giants off season and what transpired on Conference Championship Sunday. We're going to switch gears now to the Senior Bowl, another big event coming up this weekend in addition to the Pro Bowl, and we are joined by our very own John Schmelk, who is in Mobile, Alabama. John, how are we doing today?
6: Gentlemen, how are you? We're nearing the end of the first media availability session. It's a bit chaotic in here. There's a lot of people running around doing a lot of stuff, <laughs> but we managed to talk to a bunch of the prospects that are coming out, so it, it's been fun.
1: John, what does the schedule look like? NFL Network is promising everybody a bunch of live hours of coverage beginning at 1 o'clock. Uh, have they given you the, the layout, the logistics, as to what's going to happen each day? Let's say people wanted to tune in. I don't know if the network's going to actually have live cameras at some of this stuff, or they're just going to tape it. But is there any sense as to what exactly you're going to
6: see when? I, I believe enough networks calling the practices like, 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 like they would um – uh, they almost do play-by-play of the practices. So I believe they will be doing that. Um, first practice, I believe, starts around 120. I would imagine coverage would be started 1 on NFL Network. People should check their local listings, of course. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I imagine that's going to be the case. The problem we might run into here, guys, and this is going to be really interesting, is that there's a chance of rain today, but it's not bad. Tomorrow it's supposed to be pouring 100% chance of rain all day long. Wow. In which case they would have to move practice – to the Alabama State indoor practice facility. The problem is, much like the Giants indoor practice facility, there's no space to put anybody in there. So it would be only, uh, I believe, the teams, the coaches, and maybe one or two representatives from each NFL team and everyone else is going to be sent tape of practice, and that's how they're going to break down Wednesday's practice. So weather could put a little damper on Wednesday this week.
1: So as media, you might have to watch whatever NFL network is able to televise
6: if they have to move uh, inside. Here, Here's the problem. They might not even have room to put NFL network in there.
1: Wow. Wow.
6: So, that's a big so deal. That, that, that is a pending developing situation.
0: Whew. I heard Jim Nagy, who's now the executive director, when he spoke to the media the other day, he was laying out that situation, which is remarkable. Yeah. They, they just feel as if they'll have enough video equipment to then at least give out to the 32 teams, but the media Correct. is the one that's going to be making the ultimate sacrifice, to your point, John, because they're not necessarily going to get a copy of of the tape it's more important for the scouts and so forth well Jim Nagy also I know laid out the land in terms of some of the players to look for and I think obviously the quarterback class John is intriguing this year maybe not necessarily because it matches what last year's class overall in the draft looked like but I believe there's eight quarterbacks in this year's game and they all come from different programs different backgrounds and this should be a very interesting group to keep close tabs on.
6: Yeah, absolutely. I had a chance to talk to Jim Nagy um, before media started today. That'll be on Giants.com later today. I had a real nice in-depth interview in terms of how they find the players here, some of the people they're excited about. Lance, you're right, people are paying attention to the quarterbacks. Uh, we've been waiting for Will Greer to show up to talk for like the last 45 minutes. Uh, he might be lost in West Virginia somewhere. I'm not <laughs> sure. We've not seen him yet. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and and the next media session features uh, Drew Locke and the uh, kid from Duke. So uh, we haven't a chance to talk to those guys yet. But, yeah, you have three guys here that could potentially be first-round quarterbacks. Or, Grim uh, might be a stretch. But Drew Locke and Jones, the uh, the the kid from Duke, could get into that second half of the first round. And, obviously, quarterbacks, Lance, always get all the attention no matter where you are. They're the people that everybody wants to see. So there will be a lot of people looking at that position. Even guys like, you know, Finley and Stidham and guys like that, they could be middle-round draft picks, uh, that maybe people think they can develop a little bit, and then you got one one guy that I'm sure is gonna you know take some breath away here, but not a lot of people have looked at him. Is the quarterback out of Buffalo, um, who's physically so gifted that people are gonna be wowed by him. He checks in this week. At 6'7 and 245 pounds, he's got a cannon for an arm, but he's not the most accurate guy in the world. So mm-hmm. I think he's somebody that is 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 going to garner a lot of attention. But uh, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, those are the two stars. We have not talked to them yet. They play in the North team, and uh, they'll be the guys everyone's keeping an eye on. And John, that's, before go you
0: go, Paul, I just want to say, who John was just referring to, that's Tyree Jackson yes. out of Buffalo. Yeah.
1: yeah, he's a moose. He's a Dante Culpepper-type oh, yeah. physical specimen. John, have they given you guys... A a full complete roster list of attendees, guys who have actually checked in, because I know every once in a while, in the last few days, we've heard about a guy who, oh, guess what? He's not going to be there, or maybe this guy did so great in the Shrine Game, suddenly he was added to the Senior Bowl week.
6: Yeah, I have I have the list. I have the roster that they gave to us this morning. Any surprises there? Since then, and I missed them, I guess that's possible, but I have what I would consider the most updated roster in front of me, yes.
1: Yeah, any, any surprises? Are there a bunch of people disappointed that certain guys are not going to be there this week?
6: Uh, well, the one, the one that kind of hit yesterday, and obviously Josh Allen was last week. That's the big yeah. one. Everyone's disappointed he's not going to be here. Um, but the big name that we found out is here and is participating, um, but is, is not going to play or practice is Jonathan Abram, the safety out of Mississippi mm-hmm. State, who a lot people think is an end-of-the-first-round pick. Um, they found a shoulder injury with him when they did medicals yesterday. So he's not going to practice. He's not going to play in the game, but he is going to be here this week and go to meetings and, and, and things of that nature. So that was the last big, disappointing kind of drop we had. But it was a legitimate injury. Right. He's going to be gone. And then the linebacker, Willis, is somebody um, who's not on the rosters. He had a groin injury, and he bailed out, I think it was yesterday.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, that was the linebacker from Georgia that John is referring to. Correct. Uh, he also missed his bowl game as a result of that groin injury, too. So that wasn't necessarily a surprise. Big picture, John. I know we focused on the quarterbacks, and you mentioned a few guys that are not going to take part, but what's the other position to watch out for in this year's senior uh, year class?
6: Paul's going to love it. Keep an eye on the trenches, boys. Uh, <laughs> you, they, there are a decent amount of offensive line prospects that can play, uh, but I think the edge rush class is really, really strong. Um, One guy you're going to hear about this week probably for the first time in your life, but for good reason, is a defensive end out of Old Dominion, O'Shane Ziminez. Um, He was very productive playing in a small conference. He's the first Old Dominion player to ever come to the senior bowl. He actually has a teammate here with him, too, Travis Fulgham, the wide receiver. Um, He was dominant there. I watched some of his tape last week that he can flat-out play, but he didn't do it against great competition. He'll have a chance. Jalen Ferguson. Of Louisiana Tech, um, he led the NCAA in sacks last year, okay? Uh, he is production out the yin-yang, but can he convert that, again, from a smaller conference to the pros? Uh, that's someone to keep an eye on. Montez Sweat, he's a likely first-round pick. He's between 15 and 25 on a lot of people's big overall boards. Uh, he's measured in at 6'6", with 35, I think, in 7'8", or 5'8", arms today. The guy's got poles. That's Jason Pierre Paul-type <laughs> length with the arm. So uh, those are, those, that's a position group. And then at at offensive tackle, I think Andre Dillard is someone you watch from Washington State. Now, Paul's not going to like it because Paul knows what they do at Washington State.
1: Yes, that's right. They don't
6: run the football. So I I just talked to him a few minutes ago. He's not the biggest frame guy. He's more of a left tackle pass pro type. And he was actually talking about it. He goes, yeah, I've been working in getting into a three-point stance the last few weeks. It's different. Oh, gee, I'm glad somebody actually told him
1: he had to learn that for a change. (laughs) <laughs> oh man. And, Paul's and, not and a then big inside, fan of Mike By Leach. the way,
6: Dolan Risner is an interesting guy. He was a tackle in college. People think he might be a center. We got a couple of the guys from Wisconsin that are here that are good players that you know, Wisconsin, loved, you know how good how good they are producing offensive linemen. So, uh, that'll be something you definitely keep in mind, Because remember guys, the way the senior bowl works is only seniors. You know, these skill positions, receivers, running backs and stuff like that, these guys all come out early. You don't have any great seniors at those positions. So uh, you get more of the bigger guys here that are seniors that are going to show out. Well, John, you said
1: that they're talking about rain for tomorrow. Do they know or do they have any anticipation that it's going to affect the third or fourth day in terms of actually getting to the game as well? What are they saying? Well, there
6: really isn't Yeah, there really isn't a fourth day. Friday really is is basically your your, your NFL Saturday. It's a day off. Right. Uh, There's really nothing going on on Friday. Uh, No, Thursday's supposed to be beautiful. It's supposed to be in the mid-50s and sunny.
1: So okay. Thursday should
6: be a full day of practice, and I think by the weekend it should be clear too. So really, the only day you're in danger of losing is Wednesday.
1: Yeah, because really, that really puts. A, and I'm not trying to be funny, but what a damper that puts on the whole thing. I mean, because there's so many guys who are there specifically because they need to see these people up close and personal, and to think yeah. that they might actually lose yeah. the opportunity because they got to worry about moving them in is just that's just horrible.
0: Well, John, I hope you packed the raincoat or the umbrella. At least he's
1: working sidelines for me during college season. Well, he knows. Just he knows. I,
0: I hope he brought the necessary instruments. That's all. You got, you got I am the got the ed- loaded. There we go. That's good. Any C,
1: any C hat, any C jacket, any <laughs> gloves. Come on, John. I know you had that stuff.
0: <laughs> Ready to go, baby. <laughs> all right, John. We will speak to you as you move forward with your coverage from Mobile, Alabama, the rest of the week. We'll talk to you tomorrow, John. All right. That is John Schmelk our very own, from Mobile, Alabama, the latest in terms of the senior Bowl. I did hear Jim Nagy's press conference, and I'm glad John hit on that. He did not sound very optimistic about Mother Nature because the media was questioning the schedule, and he was like, yeah, we got a college lined up, but don't expect to be able to watch and view practice. Their plan is they're going to be able to distribute tapes to the 32 teams, but the media is not going to like the game plan. Based on how the layout of the field just does not allow them to take advantage of it. I'm not
1: trying to be a wise guy, but the combine is held indoors in Indianapolis. First at the Hoosier Dome, and now, of course, at at uh, so Lucas Oil they Stadium. Find the new
0: location well, for the Senior Bowl.
1: I'm just asking you. Well,
0: listen, it, right? It's
1: it, a- I mean, for such an important event, a week long event which carries a number of critical results and factors into teams scouting plans and their their drafting plans wouldn't you think that they would have that's fair kind of thought about a better
0: facility that could deal with this and i know the senior bowl is synonymous with alabama i'm not saying that i'm an expert on alabama but i find it hard to believe that they don't have some indoor facility in alabama that can at least house nfl workouts or something to that degree so perhaps that's something to look into. I don't know what the track record is or the weather.
1: There may be contracts and sponsorships be, course, and different that commitments to that, that kind of have them locked in. But yeah. if this should happen and they get 100% horrible rain tomorrow and it does cause such a dramatic impact on the scouts' ability to do what they want to do, again, people have to think ahead. Okay. It just seems to me
0: the that too is, many
1: things happen in in pro football where people aren't thinking ahead.
0: The problem is, you just you never know what the forecast is going to be, and it's hard to predict that three or four weeks in advance. But in
1: in these times where you have so many dome stadiums and dome facilities that have sprung up in the last thirty years, you would think that someone would have said, "Hey, let's take advantage of this when we have a chance."
0: Well, the ones that get hurt the most, listen, I understand the media is going to be irritated and this and that. It's really the players because the whole point of the Senior Bowl is to try to raise your stock. And if the media is not there to help raise your stock and talk about you and do interviews, you're not necessarily taking full advantage of the resources around you. So those are the players that I think suffer the most. It's not so much the scouts and everybody else. To me, it's the players. The senior bowl is so that you can showcase your skill set. So that's the unfortunate part. All right, I know we're a little bit over, but let's try to squeeze in another caller or two before we wrap up shop here. A lot of people waiting patiently. Coach Marvin is on the line. Coach Marvin is in Delaware here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Coach Marvin? How
4: are you doing, Lance and Paul? Hey, Coach. All right,
0: Coach. What do you got for us? I guess I got
4: to go quick.
0: Um, want to try to squeeze in another caller, yeah. Yeah,
4: yeah. Um, well, I was got, um, well, I wanted to say... Uh, I lived in New England for 27 years, so I saw the Patriots from their bad times to where they are. And uh, this guy that called earlier is thinking that they're gonna neutralize um, the Rams. I, I kind of like disagree. I think, um, what they're gonna what the big New England because they're well coached. Obviously, is you gotta compress the 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 throwing zones. Where what I mean by that, they are they are a dig and dunk type of team. They like crossing routes. Majority of the time, they don't stretch the field. And if you notice over the years, they never really drafted a really good wide receiver. So they don't have outstanding receivers. So what they do, they try to utilize Grunt and Edelman, which they always been doing, um, replacing these uh, slot receivers with quick guys, and so they can have two way goals. And that's what they're basing it on. Right? I believe that this is a team that matches well against New England. Because the outside corners can play man to man. And then you can come down into those zones against those crossing routes. And I think that's what um, Wade Phillips, who is an excellent defensive coordinator, I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to make Brady hold the ball longer than he wants to. And that's what saves their blocking, because they get rid of the ball. Oh, of course, yeah. If they're not getting rid of the ball, Brady has trouble. He has trouble with the Giants. Because they don't match up well in the middle of the field, uh, up front, so he has to he holds the ball a little longer, and um, and then the Giants were able to get to him. Pittsburgh did the same thing this year. Jacksonville did the same thing this year. It can be done. It's just you got to. Have the personnel to do it well. And I would right. argue,
0: I think the Chiefs did have some of the personnel. I mean, they did tie with Pittsburgh for the team lead, the league lead, excuse me, in sacks this year. Chris Jones, Justin Houston, D. Ford, those guys get after the quarterback. New England completely neutralized those guys.
4: Well, they did neutralize them, but again, look at the passing that they did. It was a lot to Edelman underneath, a lot to the tight end. Well, and also over the middle, middle
0: of the field, though, they utilized Edelman, too. You know, Brady was throwing about 20 yards down the field to Edelman, and Gronk, too. Uh, it, it wasn't so really, much just dinking but there
4: and there. but I mean, coming out of the slot, I don't know if he threw it 20 yards or compared to Edelman running at 20 yards. I'm just saying, they played a lot of their safeties with deep, playing a cover two at times. They came with a cover, um, with a cover three which didn't pan out right where they hit grunt on a slant matched up with um, Barry. Uh, And then they just had a bad defensive secondary plan that left holes in there for them to find. You
1: you know what though, Marvin, here's the one thing that I wonder, I'm not disputing what you're saying because there's sound logic behind it. And usually you and I agree a lot. Uh, I'm not so sure that they're going to be able to force the Patriots to become so one dimensional, because if the Patriots can run the ball, and my goodness, Gronk was a phenomenal blocker the other day. He was a beast uh, blocking a tight end when he wasn't catching passes. And that's about as good as he's looked all season and maybe in the last three years. He was just an absolute monster uh, in helping that line find holes and plow yeah, their way. way. I mean, if, if Brady's going to have the opportunity to maintain balance throughout the course of the game, then what you're talking about is not going to have much of an impact.
4: Uh, and I agree, B, you agree. To, uh, I mean, I can agree with those things. I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm just saying with the tight end, with the corners that they have, they can play press against these mediocre receivers they have.
0: Well, they I have also – I think this is also right going in. to be a game, Marvin, where they're going to try to utilize James White out of the backfield because the Rams, to me, don't have coverage guys that match up well with running backs. Mm-hmm. And we saw that with Alvin Kamara. And I'm not saying James White's Alvin Kamara, but I think they're going to go after those linebackers and see whether or not they can cover guys out of the backfield.
4: And I agree with that. But Donald is a different beast. He is? He's different than anybody in the NFL. And he's different than anybody they've seen. And also... Sue has played well in the last couple of weeks. He's come on against the run in the last couple of weeks. No, you can be right. You can be right. But I will be calling you after that Super Bowl to find out if I was right or wrong. But, um, <laughs> we got two weeks,
2: yeah.
4: The other thing I want to talk about is the, the refereeing. Um, I don't agree with instant replay for um, for interference call. I don't know if that was a helmet-to-helmet. Helmet. I'm used to seeing helmet to helmets where they use the crown of the helmet he didn't look like he used the crown and watching it on tv i thought something was wrong with it but i wasn't clear until they slowed it down and then i thought oh, yeah that's a pass offense. but when i first saw it it just looked weird it looked like he got there to almost the same time as the ball when it eventually first happened from the angles we was watching it but uh, it was a bad call but i wouldn't open up that box where i mean i've lost a couple of games on bad calls and, and i wouldn't you just have to deal with them it's just a human error it's like calling like you said lance in a in a basketball game you can call a foul every time in a in a baseball game we, we complain about the strike zone all the time yep human errors is going to be part of the game and you're just going to have to deal with them and my my last thing i don't know if y'all saw on the site i talked to you about earlier this month about um sutton Smith. i guess they put him up on the uh draft prospect today i don't
0: know if you guys saw that no i didn't i, I did personally did not see that uh, obviously we'll yeah. check that out as they continue was, to update that
1: I one one thing you before saw- you go marvin I, it wasn't about the crown of the helmet it wasn't a targeting thing that people were talking about the fact is he ran into a defenseless receiver and helmet to helmet contact was involved the right. defenseless receiver penalty certainly applies in that case, and it wasn't thrown. I'm not talking about a targeting penalty. I'm talking about okay. hitting a defenseless receiver. <laughs> you don't yeah, have to was, use the crown to do that. Yeah. No.
0: Well, there yeah, was clearly was, early contact. Was, that I think was, we can all agree. He was, he, was he was
1: defenseless. There was no question about that.
0: All right, Coach Marvin.
4: a lot of calls missing that, and we don't know what would happen. A good example real quick was, remember when the Patriots, um, Edelman, they thought he touched the ball and fumbled. It was hard to see. It right, either. yep. They, you know what happened two plays after that?
0: It was Elton interception.
4: The right. The ball and they intercepted. Yeah. Uh, so you, you never, never know. know you happen. never
0: know. There's a lot of calls Thanks, Coach. that could go both ways and appreciate the phone call. Len is in Columbia, Maryland. Len, what's happening?
7: Hey, guys. Marvin's always a great listen. Yeah, he, he really sure knows, is. He really knows the game. Yep. Um,. You know, the worst penalty of the day on Sunday to me, self inflicted damage to your own team, was D Ford lining up offside yeah. mm-hmm. on third down and giving Brady in the last two minutes more plays to try to score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. God, that was a devastating. Really, really, I, I don't know how you line up offside. I, I just, I don't get it, but it happens. It does. There's always one call like that in a, in a game. But I thought that was the most difficult, to, you know, the most difficult of the of of, of the calls. The good news, land, uh, really, it was legit. Really That's Kansas the good City. news. Yeah. At least um, it was a legit oh, I, call. I, I was really <laughs> interested in your conversation with Joe from Pennsylvania earlier in the call, uh, earlier in the program. Um, you know, the discussion between Unitas and the modern-day quarterbacks and so forth. The one thing we could say about the Unitas era, and he really was great. I mean, Unitas was great. And anybody wants a measure of Unitas, go look at the last play of that 58 play, uh, championship game uh, of, the, of, of the regular game and then the first series of the mm-hmm. playoffs. And oh my goodness, you know just dramatic the overtime but the one difference between the two you know you I think you were both right if, you, if that's if that's possible, and that is joe 's point was playing quarterback in those days was downright dangerous mm-hmm. i mean they got they got hit a lot, and it was also much more difficult and you touched on it, Paul, just just thinking about the fields that they played on and things of that nature um, that was a that was a tough era for quarterbacks. they had more interceptions, they had less yardage. Um, all of those things, but there was a combination of reasons why. But I, I agree with you, Paul. Unitas is right there at the top. Um, I, I liked your discussions on offensive lines, um, and, and thank you for the, mentioning the center position. We've got to get more production out of our center next year. We've got to get more, more production out of that position. That's the key. I know they keep talking about left tackles, but, man, that offensive center is so important, just an anchor. To that offensive line. You know, there's an offensive tackle at Alabama State and John mentioned that that's where the practice facility, indoor practice facility will be. I just can't pull back the name, but he is a big dude and a highly rated offensive tackle. I think you're I talking about the name. Titus
0: Howard. He's 6'6", six, 3'11". Six, yeah. He's from Alabama he's, State. Yeah, Alabama State. Yeah,
7: now, I don't know if he's in the senior bowl. He is. He, he's on
0: the senior bowl roster. Yeah.
7: He, he's on the roster. Good. He'll be a good one to watch. He's... Um, the write-ups on him have been very good, very good. Um, the best thing about the um, senior bowl for me is those measurements. I mean, you get the first accurate, semi-accurate anyway measurements. I mean, sometimes you know, schools like Notre Dame they give they you know they give you a weight and a height freshman year, and you can set, you can find that same height and weight <laughs> on the guy <laughs> in senior year. It never well, seems never seems well, to change. But so we begin to see height and weight.
0: Len, it's, it's much more NFL, important. Of the, you know, the ultimate is the combine. Len, it's much and, more important to see what they do in pads, though. Me- measurements are all great, and it's nice to put numbers on right. a page. If they don't do anything in pads, it's really irrelevant. It's meaningless.
7: Well, I, you know, I don't know. You look at the top three defensive backs. I'm anxious to see when when the combine comes. Those top three defensive backs. Um, you know, I really want to see a weight on them. Um, I I think they're hovering right around 180. That's a a little small in the NFL.
0: Well, but the point is, if they don't do anything when they put the pads on and the helmet on the field, who who cares what the measurements are at the end of the day? That's all I'm saying.
7: Well, yeah, okay. Yeah, I I get that, Lance. It's a very good point. But I still say, you know, you're taking a chance on a guy that's under— drafting a guy, particularly in the first round, who's under 180 pounds, the last in this league, you get beat up—I don't care what position you play— -hmm. It's it's a big man's game. It's a big man's game. Hey guys, thanks for taking my call, and I'm looking forward to John's reports from down south.
0: All right, thank you. Sounds good. Appreciate the phone call, and a reminder to stay (laughs) locked to giants.com over the next few days for Pro Bowl and Senior Bowl reports. And we'll be up and running on Big Blue Kickoff Live each and every weekday at noon Eastern. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. That is going to wrap things up for us here on Tuesday's program. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll be back up and running tomorrow. For Paul Detino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.